What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 140 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and the places that God has put us. Well, I am so glad you tuned in today. I hope you're having a great summer. You are in for a treat today. Today, I get to introduce you to a gentleman that I have so much respect for. I have respect for what kind of father he is, what kind of husband he is, what kind of son he is uh, to his parents. I have a tremendous amount of respect for what kind of pastor he is at the Great Cross Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee. But I've got the most respect for him for the way he walks with the Lord. Today, we're going to talk about leadership through the lens of staying connected to God while we lead through prayer. I don't know of anybody who models a life of leadership by leading with prayer more than Kevin Queen. You are going to be so blessed. You're, you're going to hear it in his voice. You may know him. You may have heard him speak. But to know this side of Kevin is what makes Kevin so unique and so special and such a great man who walks with the Lord. I don't know what's going on in your life at this point, but I know this. You will be a better leader. You'll be a better person for listening to this episode. So I don't know where you are right now. Pull up a chair, pull out something to write with, and just enjoy my time with Pastor Kevin Queen. Well, Kevin, it is such an honor, buddy, to have you on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. Thanks so much for joining me. Mike, thanks for the invitation, man. I've always loved our, you know, our conversations. It's great for us just to be able to sit down and, and chat a little while. Wish we could be together knee to knee, but uh, but I'm glad we were able to connect up like this, man. Yeah, me too. You know, it, it's funny, Kevin, I've known you from across Atlanta. We had crossed paths a lot in those early years. Walk me back in your faith story to the point that you left to go where you are now. Give me a little bit of who Kevin Queen was growing up and what you even thought you'd be doing with your life. That's, that's a great question. I, uh, I, you know, I think it goes back to my mom and dad's to their, to their conversion. Um, you know, we're, we, my whole family grew up in Lawrenceville, Georgia. So we had deep roots there. My mom and dad went to high school there. They, uh, they met and, you know, their lives, they were, they were far from, they were far from Christ. And they ended up coming to come to Jesus at a, uh, and a, a mom came to faith through a friend, and, uh, and right around the time when I was when I was born, because they had a uh, they had a miscarriage or a stillborn, the the uh, my older brother. So that I think that kind of rocked them to that put them in a crisis of faith. They came, mom ended up coming to Christ. She brought my dad to Christ, and they both um, connected at a church called Central Baptist Church in um, 
in Lawrenceville, Georgia, and a pastor named Glenn Shepherd was the pastor there. And he was just, he's just a man of prayer, man of revival. He even brought in like Leonard Ravenhill, you know, yeah, you know that name, oh, like yeah, yeah. brought in Ravenhill. And so like, that's where my parents were, um, they were saved in a move of God. You know, I think, mm-hmm. I think Glenn Shepherd would say there's about 1500, uh, baptisms that they had over a, you know, over a few years. Like it was just, it's phenomenal what, what God was doing really, you know, he's, he, when he talks about it, he's like, man, it was, it was the, um, it was revival. It was the early stages of a revival and a move of God. So that's, that's where my parents really cut their teeth on, um, on what faith, what faith was. And so they made a decision early on and some things happened, you know, um, but they made a decision. They're like, we'll never go to a dead church. Like we're always going to go to a church that's alive. And, and, um, and they, uh, they went, we, we went, we were at a church called Lilburn First Baptist. And then we ended up at Hebrew Baptist in Decula. And, uh, and that was, just, there was a move of God going wild. Part of that story is that Larry Wynn, who's the pastor at, um, at Hebrew Baptist in Decula, Larry was in a prayer group that Glenn Shepherd, he took a bunch of young pastors and uh, pulled them together and met with them once a week and they prayed together. And, uh, and just from that prayer gathering, this offshoot of all these pastors who were leading different, you know, different churches and different movements, um, you just saw the kind of the spiritual DNA. So what mm. was wild is like that spiritual DNA continued to go out. And, um, and it was at Hebron where we got to experience the move. God ended up, um, really coming to Christ there. I got arrested when I was uh, 16 for, um, for stealing a CD. And, uh, there were, that was kind of the, that was the path. I was like, it could have been other things that I was stealing that I didn't get caught for, but ended up, uh, ended up getting caught for that. And, uh, it really was in that moment in the back of a police car, Mike, where I was like, look, I'm going to ride in the back of a police car a lot more in my life. If I continue to go this trail. That's right. And you know what? I, it was just, I remember sitting there going, I'm tired of pretending like, mm-hmm. I'm just tired mm-hmm. of, um, of, of putting up a facade, tired of image management. And I'm either going to go all in with Jesus, or I'm just going to go all in with this other thing. And I didn't like where this other thing was leading. And so there was, it was at that place that I fully surrendered my life to Christ. And, uh, and really, I think, you know, I think I knew at that time, man, it was, it was vocational ministry. That was what God had called me to. He had already put seeds of that in my heart. Um, And so I, when I say vocational ministry, at that time, it just looked like leading in the FCA. It looked like sharing my faith with the friends, with my friends. It looked like being bold in my faith in the lunchroom. You know, those, those kind of steps that I was like, yeah, I think, I think that's what I'm supposed to do. I remember, I remember at FCA, we had coached Bailey's trailer on Friday mornings, you know, at seven o'clock, we'd meet down there and, and uh, FCA was just inviting a bunch of our friends and then just sharing the gospel. And so we invite our friends from the football team and they just share the gospel and people were coming to Christ on mm. Friday. Man, I, that was the point where I was like, man, I want to give my life. Like, I want to give my life to that. I mean, that was, that was where that, that hunger and that passion and, uh, and what I would call like an evangelistic fervor. And then we ended up, um, ended up graduating from high school, jumped around to a couple of college colleges and finally landed where, um, I was at Dakota Falls college and my wife, Ree was at uh, the university of Georgia. And, uh, she wasn't my wife at the time. She was a girlfriend. And I, uh, I, I was just like, man, I don't like being in Tekoa when she's in Athens. And so I found a verse in Thessalonians. It was the apostle Paul where he said, and when I could stand it no more, I left for Athens. And so I put that up on, <laughs> I put that up on my door, you know, and I left Tekoa and I went to UGA and I thought it was, I thought it was to be close to Ree, but, um, but God used Ree to get me to a campus ministry called the Wesley foundation where, um, Tom Tanner was the pastor there. And it was there that, God just, he blew the walls off of all of the compartments that I'd put him in. That was there that I really learned about life in the spirit and the Holy Spirit, gifts of the spirit. I learned about, you know, I learned about prayer and this hunger for, mm. for revival. 
for a uh, broad stroke move of God um, that can't be explained and can't be denied, like that type of move. And, and so that was a different type of leadership that um, where where you lead things like a sail leads the wind, you know, yeah, where, you that's just, right. where you just, and so I, I, I think there um, so many of my constructs were just, um, they were, they were just, they were, they were torn down in a way, not, and not like when we would say like what, what some people might call deconstruction today. Like I would call it, like there was a, um, there was this, this renewal of intimacy of just mm-hmm. of love for, for Jesus and, and uh, understanding and even a, an accepting of all the things that I didn't like just of the mystery of the things that I didn't understand and, uh, and, and giving myself fully to, uh, to, to the way God revealed himself through the person of Christ, through the spirit. And, uh, and Tom Tanner was instrumental in that. And then I, I ended up getting hired back at hired back at Hebron, my home church, which was incredible to be able to go on staff there. I was there for um, there for a couple. That was when you and I linked yep. up at like impact camps. And, yep. Yep. Um, who Jason Britt and some mutual friends. And, and, um, and you know, I got um, at Hebron. It was a great it was a great time to. But I, I'll just tell you, like, honestly, I think. I thought it was going to be like what I experienced at Wesley Foundation or what I experienced at a ministry we started called Downpour for high school, you know, for high school students. But there was a um, there was a tension that I was wrestling with with um, with some of the systems and the structures where I think it was uh, where I realized, man, this was a great place to attend. But I don't know that I'm a long term fit here on staff and 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 all that Hebron had, yep. had given me and all that I, I just, I, I think I could tell there was some, there was some tension that, um, that, w- that caused me to be, maybe God's leading me somewhere, somewhere else. And that was really hard to leave a place that I've been 16 years. Right. And so ended up, uh, ended up leaving, uh, leaving Hebron. I went into a time, went to like a 40 day fast. I'd never fasted before, but that was just kind of the gravity of this decision. Um, and I was like, man, I, I felt this need to, to fast and pray. And um, I, I came across uh, Bill Bright had a guide to fasting, you know, and I was, I was like, man, I'm going to do a 40 day fast and start fasting. And, uh, and I, I really didn't know what I was, what I was doing. Um, but I got about 30 days in the fast and, and Mike, I, I was looking at North American mission board. They had a, uh, they had a US two where they would plant a church and like these strategic focus cities, they had one in Seattle and, uh, and if I'm honest with myself, I think I was kind of going that direction because I, I wanted a noble out. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I yep. just, I knew that there was a next, but I just, I want to, Oh, if I can, I can say I'm planting a church and that'll be, you know, that'll be a, a noble out. And, um, and I'm so glad that God rescued me from trying to invent, you know, a next, next step that just would have been a next um, rather than necessarily the thing he was leaving, but I was seeking him. Mm. And I came across a tape. I don't know about, Ever told you the story before? No. Wow. Okay. I came across a tape from John Maxwell. It was up in um, Derek Spain's office. Who he was the student pastor. He had these old Maxwell tape. You remember like the Maxwell the Enjoy Life tapes? Club. The Enjoy Life Club. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And so he had these tapes, and I remember I came across the tape, and the tape, uh, the tape was called "How to Be a Better Second Leader." And my prayer was, God, would you, would you change me or change where I'm at? Mm. Right? Would you either change me and like, like rivet my calling here? Or would you change where I'm at to the place that you've called me to? And uh, and I remember um, on that tape, um, John Maxwell was talking about being a second leader, second chair leader. He's talking about uh, Dan Ryland. In the whole tape, he's talking about Dan Ryland. And I had never heard of Dan Ryland in my life. And so I get, I get, I go to Starbucks the next day, and I I meet uh, Kevin Myers, who's Pastor Kevin Myers from Twelve Stone Church. It was Crossroads at the time. 
like Kevin and I are sitting there talking and, and, and we just pick up a conversation. He didn't know me, but I knew who he was. He was speaking at Catalyst Conference and I asked, I asked Kevin, I said, um, you know, we started talking. He said, he said, he asked me, he said, Hey, we're looking for a high school pastor. Are you interested? I said, no, I said, I'm a church. Pl- I said, I'm going to be a church planner, you know? And I said, with confidence, cause you know, I'm thinking the U S yeah, too. Right? Yeah. And he said, he said, Kevin, he said, um, he said, you know, if you change your mind, I'd like for you to talk with Dan Ryland, our executive pastor. And I remember in that moment, I was like, I just heard his name yesterday. You know, like I just, and so it was this, I think that's the next step. So uh, he gave me Dan's number. I called Dan and, um, and Dan said, Hey, I'd like to meet with you. Um, where do you want to meet? And I'm like, well, I know God's moving at Starbucks, you know, cause that's where, <laughs> so we met up at, we, we meet up at Starbucks and, uh, and Dan says, Dan told me before, he's like, Hey, bring your resume and bring a picture of your family. Well, it was just my wife and I at the time. So I brought the picture and I kind of doctored the resume, made it look as good as I could, you know, yeah. like only one ministry job for 18 months. And I, and I hand it to Dan, Dan looks at it. He looks, looks at me. He says, do you have a picture? I show him the picture. And he said, man, you've lost some weight. Now mind you, like I'm 30 days into a fast, you know? He, he said later, I look like Gandhi with a smile. That's what he said. He's like, he said, you've lost some weight. And I said, yeah. He said, are you, he said, are you dieting? And I said, no, sir. And he said, are you fasting? And I'm like, man, I'm thinking Jesus said, don't tell them, you know, don't tell people. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, gosh, it's Dan Ryan. I know a lot of him. And I said, Dan, yeah, I said, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fasting. And he said, well, what are you fasting for? And I just kind of told him, you know, we we're about to have a first child fasting, praying to be a, be a, be a daddy and a husband, never done that before. And, uh, you know, fasting and praying that God would change me or change where I'm at. And he said, just curious, Kevin, what are the dates of your fast? This is September 1 to October 10th. He said, Kevin, the pastors and elders of our church are fasting and praying for a new high school pastor. They're praying um, September 1 to October 10th. Wow. Same exact four days. And it was like in that moment, Mike, where I'm just like, okay, I know what I'm doing next, you know, and, uh, and God affirmed that and confirmed that and ended up, that was one of the hardest thing, hardest conversation I ever had to have with, with, uh, with pastor Larry, where I was like, I think God's calling me here and I, and I love him and I love the church and, you know, still love, yep. love him, still love the church, but it was, it was tough to be, to, to leave and went to, uh, went to crossroads at the time, now 12 stone. And was there there for 14 years, and uh, but that that call of toward toward prayer and toward a movement of prayer toward revival, the seeds of the spiritual DNA that was uh, that I received at the Wesley Foundation, and it really goes back to Glenn Shepherd and my mom and dad coming to Christ, like that, you know, Leonard Ravenhill you know, yep. stuff, like it just it burns deep. That's why I, th- I think spiritual DNA is a thing. You know, I do yep. think spiritual fathers, it's a big deal. Like where Paul's like, hey, you got a lot of guides, but not many spiritual fathers. And spiritual fathers, you know, they they extend spiritual DNA. You know, and it's uh, well, it's so funny yeah, it's, how it's, many it's, deposits were put in your life from your mom and dad, from Glenn Shepherd to your mom and dad to you to Tom, who's a great friend of mine, who's right down the street here in Kennesaw, was just over on my porch this summer hanging out with me. And, you know, you you look at all these deposits and none of them were wasted. They were all put in for a a specific mature date, right? They all came to maturity at different times. So you're at 12 Stone. You go from being high school pastor to being a campus pastor there at 12 Stone. Mm -hmm. 12 Stone blows up, goes from crossroads to a a massive mega church here in Atlanta that a lot of people don't even know about because they're just so focused on doing what they do. And then life spins again. You know, you're not going youth pastor to youth pastor. You are now hearing about a job in 
Nashville, and and you made an interesting comment to Carrie Newhoff. You said, I never want to pry a door open. I want to pray a door open. So mm. unpack that a little bit with what happened to get you to cross point, because yeah. I don't think at that time your intention was to leave your hometown of Lawrenceville, Georgia, where your roots yeah. are deep and your, your, you know, in a lot of ways, your influence is broad from being a kid to being an adult, to being a leader in that community, unpack a little bit of how prayer affected getting you from Lawrenceville to Nashville. Yeah. So, so to take you back to, I mean, Rhea and I, we had, we had built our dream home. You know, we were, my brother had bought the lot next to me in the neighborhood that we were in. He was going to build a house there. Um, we were deeply rooted there. My mom and dad, all my, you know, Rhea and all, and all their sisters and the, the grandkids. I mean, we probably had, I want to say we probably had, you know, 25, 30 people in our family in like a 10 mile radius. I mean, so there was no reason for us to, us to leave. Um, but God began to, to slowly uproot. Rhea's mom had this great, you know, picture. She said, whenever God replants someone, he, he gently, you know, he gently pulls, he doesn't rip the roots out, but there's this gentle uprooting. And that's what we kept, we can tell, we didn't know at the time what was happening. We just knew there was this, um, there's this kind of transitional sense that was going on. And, uh, and I thought it may be, Hey, there's something else at, at 12 stone. And I'd made a commitment there to be there for a certain amount of time. And, and, uh, and I was coming up on the end of that commitment and, um, and I, and I'm like, there's not any conversations about kind of what's next. And, and I think, you know, I, I don't know, is, is, do they want me here? Is this, you know, so there was just this, this unsettling of us coming to the end of that chapter. Is this, is this what, They'd have, and um, and about that time, um, so the pastor, senior pastor at Cross Point, his name was Pete Wilson. Pete had stepped down back in 2016, at the end of 2016, I think it was September, and um, and I just, you know, I heard about that and just kind of pushed it, pushed it aside, and then um, around the beginning of 2017, um, I just, I, I had this little prayer room down in the basement, right. And, uh, and in the mornings I would go in there and I'd hang out for, you know, an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. Like it was just, I had a big whiteboard up on the, you know, on the wall and I'd, I'd write my prayers and I used like an Evernote journal. And I remember at the beginning of the year, um, Mike, I began to sense like God saying, like just a still small voice, like, I want you to go to cross point. And, um, and man, I began to battle, I began to battle with a, um, inaudible <laughs> prompt that mm. that was louder than any of the stuff out there you know and it was wow. i began to battle and wrestle wrestle that down and and yeah i can take you back in my ever i'm so grateful for Evernote because yep. i've got a history i've got i've got a i've got receipts on what you know yep. on what i what i prayed and how i wrestled and um i'm not a big journaler i don't you know i don't have a diary but like i would write down these prayers like God, I don't know if I have what it what it takes. If you think I have what it takes, then you can come get me. I'd pray things like, um, God, I, that's a big door. I'm not going to knock on that door. They'll have to come get me. Like, I would pray things like that, and I would push it back on God. You know, I would push it back on him. And so, you know, I, I would... I was like, I'm not going to reach out to cross point. I'm not going to... Um, I knew one person in the, you know, in really in Nashville that I was aware of one person that went to cross point. I'm like, I'm not going to reach out to them. 
Now it was Andy Downs, you know, yep. and uh, you know Andy really well. And so I was like, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reach out to her, and uh, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna trust the Lord. And uh, God, if it's what you want, you can come get me. And so I prayed that. That started in January. It's crazy, man. I'll tell you when it really kicked off. Are we good to still talk about no, this? No, we are great. This is fascinating, man. So my dad, my dad, uh, he sent me one morning at about uh, four o'clock. He sent me this Wikipedia article about a um, about uh, the Columbia Bar River crossing, where the Columbia River and dude, you got to know, like my dad, he's an engineer. He builds bridges. You know, he sells construction products. He's He's not a mystic, you know, yep. but he sends me this, but it's about the Columbia river crossing and about these, they would take these pilots and they would, um, they were these captains of these boats and they would take them in, with a helicopter and they would rappel down into the boat to get the boat across. So to get, because it was tumultuous crossing this, uh, the Columbia river where it hits the Pacific ocean. And so these guys would, would, you know, would, would have to be, lowered down on the captain of the ship and then dad sent me that at like four o'clock and said hey i felt like god told me to send this to you and it hit me it was like that's what he's calling me to do he's going to drop me on a boat through some tumultuous waters to captain a ship and i've never been a lead pastor before i know it just hit me like that's the call that was the metaphor and so i just and i didn't tell my dad like i just i didn't tell anybody January, February, it wasn't until the beginning of March that I went to Rio, I went to my wife and I said, I think God's calling us to cross point. I think he wants me to go pastor there. And, uh, and, you know, she began to pray about it and God began to stir that in her heart. And we, we didn't tell anybody. And then around, it was March 17th. And the reason I know is because I've gone back to look at the journal. Um, there was a clip from a message at 12 stone that just for some reason went like went went viral. You know, I never had any clips. I mean, I was a campus pastor who got to teach 10 to 12 times a year, but this one clip I talked about going to Chipotle and it just kind of, it just kind of blew up. And, um, and I wrote in my journal on March 17th, I wrote, God, if you want, um, if you want to, you can have cross point, see that clip and ask me to come and speak. That was the way that I could yep. see it working out my mind. And on March 19th, I was in, I was in my, uh, in my, prayer study down one morning and I got a, uh, I got a text from a guy who was a, he had left 12 stone. He was a songwriter in Nashville. And he sent me a text and said, Hey, Crosspoint wants to talk with you about the lead pastor position. Um, or, or, you know, would you be interested? And Mike, I just played it so cool. I was like, nah, I said, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying where I'm at, what I'm doing, you know? Um, but I, be open to a conversation yeah I just yeah, tried to like yeah. play it super cool and I ran upstairs I'll never forget I ran upstairs and I showed Ray and it was like Ray the Lord is moving on our behalf mm. you know like this is you know this is it's happening and um, and I could see it before but then I'm seeing it happen and Mike I just had such confidence mm. because of two and a half um, months of just travailing right just laboring in in prayer and continue to petition with the Lord and um, and praying prayers like I was going through Isaiah at the time, like, here I am, like, send me. And that's a dangerous prayer to pray. Yep. And, um, and so we end up, you know, we end up going into, and what was wild, oh, so wild is that the day that I was supposed to go up and interview with the team at Chattanooga, um, with the search team, um, Pastor Kevin pulls me aside at 12 Stone and he said, hey, Kevin, he said, I've got, um, I, I think, you know, this, this could be your next here. And so he offers me kind of, you know, what would have been a dream job? 
in that moment. And, uh, and I'm just so grateful for his belief in me and, yeah. you know, and his, that he would invite me into something like that. But it really, you know, when I left that meeting, I called Re and I was like, Re, what do I do? Like, this is like, this is our dream job. We're, we're in a dream situation here with all of our family, really comfortable. It's a great, you know, great thing we got going. Like, do I even go interview? And, uh, and she just reminded me, she said, Kevin, she said, God is, God's moved on, mm, like mm. Our, on our behalf. Like he's already revealed this to us to take the next step. And, uh, and it was the strangest thing going through, um, you know, having to, having to go through an interview process and knowing um, just having a sense of like, okay, God, so I, I, God made it clear. You can't tell them what I've told you. You can't show them your prayers. You can't, you know, you can't reveal yep. these things. And um, cause once you play the God card, it's like, it's almost like they have to come to the same conclusion yep. that I had already arrived at. And, uh, and to be fair, I mean, I had two and a half months of wrestling and they had, uh, they had, you know, it was all new for them, but they would ask questions in the interview and, you know, they're like, well, what would you do if this happened? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, we get, we got some great people. We get in the room, we pray, yeah. we'd seek the Lord. And we'd, you know, so I didn't, I never felt like I've got to impress, mm. like impress them. And, um, and so, uh, so that was, uh, that was that process really coming to the, to the end out. And, and when they finally said, Hey, we think, you know, we believe that, that you're the man or you're the person that God has for, for cross point for this next, I, I remember, um, there was one time where they came to me and said, Hey, we got another person we want to interview. And I'm like, that's fine. Go interview. Like, I want you to interview everybody you want to interview. You know I mean? That was, um, and they, you know, they interviewed and they came back and they said, Hey, we think, we think this is the next step. And, uh, and I, I said, Hey, I'd like to drive up to Nashville and tell you something. And, uh, and Rhea and I hopped in the car and we drove up to Nashville and it was there in a living room where we were able to go through these prayers that have been prayed, you know, cause they made their decision on wisdom and prayer. Um, not everybody had, you know, we probably had about eight or nine, like incredible signs and wonders yeah. type things, but, but it, it affirmed the decision that they, that they made. And, uh, and it was confirmation for, for us as well. So what a, what a crazy, what a great, crazy story. ride. Yeah. What, a great, what I love about that story, Kevin, is how different it would have been if you had pried those doors open mm-hmm. and the, the, the fear that you probably would have had of them interviewing other people and the worry that you would have had and how you may have bounced at another idea, but yeah. you were so because of what prayer did. And then you show up in Nashville and it was really interesting because I watched this from afar you know, Crosspoint's a phenomenal church, but when their founding pastor stepped down, things stepped sideways a little bit. They were down 5,600 people. Giving was off by 19%. Prayer played a major role getting you in. How vital was prayer when you show up on the scene and the honeymoon's over and they're looking at you going, okay, bud, what are we going to do now? How, How much did you lean into prayer as a leader and what was different about the prayer then? What yeah. would you say? So let's go, let's go back to, to the, um, to the confidence that comes from knowing that your boots are at the right place on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, people go, Hey, you're filling big shoes or you're, you know, you're, you know, you're doing, you, you know, this is a, this is a big job and it is, it's a stretch role and I'd never done it before, but I knew with such confidence that this is what I was supposed to do that, um, that when I, when I was there, I wasn't playing the, I wasn't playing the tape in my mind is like, is this where I'm supposed to be? You know, that, so the, like, and I knew to the place, like, 
you know, like the Moravians, like, man, they would pack the story is they'd pack their clothes in a coffin and like, send it. like, I don't, I don't know that. I mean, my hope would be that I would be at that point. I've never made that, but there was like a, there was a deep sense of like, even if there were machine guns, you know, in, in Nashville, I was going on mission. I don't know that I would, I don't know that I would have brought my family, but there was at that, you know, the, yep. the, there was a, such a sense like, I'm supposed to go and, and take this hill. I'm supposed to go. There was a deep seated sense of call, but I needed that history with God in the wrestling because when I got here, like it was just, it was a challenge. It was tough. I mean, it was things that was doing things I'd never, never done before. And I needed to know like, God, you've called me here. You won't leave me. You won't forsake me. This is where I'm supposed to be. I don't know that, you know, I don't know that I would have been able to, to, to stay in it had I not had, those receipts. Right. So that's, that's a, that's part of that benefit of God opening a door that no man can shut is that once you're finally through the door, you know, that, you know, it's God that, that opened that, you know, I think the other, the other part is like, when I got here, I I really didn't, I was like, okay, let's go back to, um, to what I know. Well, I know that, that God moved, that prayer is the most powerful and effective force on the planet. And I knew just from conversations with the team, I mean, they were, they were ready to pray. I just, I don't know that they had experienced that type of, that type of leadership. And so I was like, well, we need to get people together and pray. And so we gathered, we gathered the staff and they were so um, ready and willing to, to kind of to jump in. And so the staff, we began to gather and pray on Tuesdays and, um, and it was something that they'd never done before, you know, to pray for, for an hour. Um, and that can sound pretty crazy to say, Hey, that's what we're going to do. We're going to go pray for an hour. And, uh, and they jumped in and we just saw, I think, Mike, I think in that hour, um, like it was almost like chiropractic work for the staff. Mm. you know, there was a lot of staff that was wounded. Yeah. I think the church after 10 months of transition, I think the church, when I say the church, I'm talking about like the congregation, they were ready to go. Yeah. Like the congregation was like, let's go. But the staff still had a lot of healing to do. And, uh, and part of God's kindness is in that hour of prayer. He, he did more in one hour in a lot of people and with our staff than, um, than maybe could have happened in a decade of counseling. I mean, there was just, there were encounters with God that, that really shaped him for, I would say this, I, I think you could say like God poured out a spirit of prayer, mm-hmm. um, on us as a, as a church and on us as a staff. And, uh, and became focused on like, how do we build a prayer culture within this already incredible church that does, you know, got a great staff, phenomenal outreach presence in the city, the way this church already loves and serves and, and gives itself away. How do we build this, uh, this, this boiler room, right. Of, of prayer, um, that, that shows up as a culture of prayer. Um, that was, that became the focus. Um, so that's really good. And, and now you're in the seat and you're, you're moving the church ahead. You've got that leadership role. How do you maintain Kevin? Cause that's so many guys that listen to this. They may be a pastor. They may be a CEO. They may be a, a athletic director at a university or a high school or a principal or a business leader. How do you maintain that intimacy with God? Because that's that's the one thing that's always stood out to me about you is a consistency and a not a here or a here. Man, there's just a, this is who I am. This is what I'm called to. And that doesn't just come with makeup. That comes from, 
hours spent on your knees and and knowing who you are, how do you maintain that intimacy with all the other things on your plate as a senior yeah. leader? Yeah, I think um, I, I'm so grateful for that time at 12 Stone as a campus pastor because it's really in that um, in that time that I began to I began to form those disciplines that would that would carry over into this next seat. Um, so really, I didn't change much about my calendar or about my rhythms. Um, those things really didn't, Mike. They really didn't change that much. Um, I, but I but I set those. I set those rhythms in the seat that I was in. The pressure changed, you know, like, yep. I mean, day one, the pressure changed, yeah. but the rhythms, the scaffolding, the the underpinning uh, just really didn't change. So like, for example, um, you know, I remember I was with Dan Ryland. He, he, he came over to my house when we were, I was like, when I was building, you know, so kind of Dan, Dan's yep. a great executive. He's such a great guy. And um, so he came over, we were walking through the, we were walking through the house and, uh, and I was showing him, it was all just, uh, you know, it was all two by fours and been framed out. And I showed him, Dan, this is going to be my prayer room down there. I said, Dan, would you pray over my prayer room? And, uh, and he prayed over that prayer room and prayed prayers of, uh, of intimacy and leadership wisdom and, uh, encounters with God, you know, Dan's praying over that, that room. And, um, and I, I think like, Dan, I, I told, Pastor Dan, I said, I've, I've struggled with consistency in my prayer life. And, uh, and Dan said, pick a time, pick a place and have a plan. I'll never forget. He told me those three things, pick a, pick a time, put it on the calendar, pick a place and have a plan. And, uh, and really that has helped me have that consistent. I'm putting it on the calendar. And when I was a campus pastor, you know, I read something one week that said, Hey, describe what your ideal week is put that on a, you know, so I put together like an Excel spreadsheet and I broke it down into like 30 minute increments, which is not my personality. Yep. Right. I mean, but I broke it down into 30 minute increments and I created an ideal week. And then I gave it to out of part-time admin at the time, one of the first hires that I had. And I gave it to her and I said, Hey, when you fill in meetings, fill it, fill it in on, you know, take this and put this in Microsoft, uh, whatever, what's yep. outlook. And I was like, then just fill in meetings. But I blocked out that, you know, that time with the Lord, Lord in the morning and study and prayer, um, not for message prep, just for time with him. And, uh, and Mike, that, that consistency carried over. I think it was able to set those disciplines without the pressure so that when the pressure came, um, you know, they, they remained and they were there and it was the, it was the skeleton that gave me the, you know, really gave me the strength to, to continue. So if you were talking to a leader and they said, man, you know, I get praying and I understand it, but what kind of power comes with prayer? What kind of, what does it do for you with that? And I like that. And I think it was Dan's last book. In fact, God confidence, what, what God confidence comes when you are a leader who doesn't just pray, but you're a praying leader. What's the confidence that comes with that? Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think the definition of prayer helps. Um, I think it was R.T. Kendall that, that defined prayer as keeping company with God. Mm-hmm. So when we, when we look at just, when we just whittle prayer down to this idea of it's just keeping company with him. So what helped me with that definition is that I was able to pull a lot of things into prayer. So then Bible reading became prayer yeah. because now I'm reading the scripture and I'm keeping company with God. It's his presence, right? Um, 
you know, petition, intercession, praying for it. Like those are keeping company with God. Now, when I'm just sitting in his presence and I'm, I'm just thinking, <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I'm just thinking thoughts with God and wanting to have the mind of Christ. Like that, that's, that's prayer. So it gave me, I'm going to put this time on the calendar and that's going to, that's going to be prayer. When I'm journaling, writing it down, when I'm taking a Psalm and just mm. repeating and saying, when I'm worshiping, that's, as I understand it, keeping company with God, that's prayer. It's, this conversation when I'm just sitting in silence and listening, like that's prayer. So that helped me, that's it helped good. take me out of kind of some of the more formulaic, like ACT. And there's nothing wrong with it. It served me well for a season, but I, I needed something that was a little bit broader so that now I've got this keeping company with God that I'm continuing all throughout my day, but without the consistency of that time spent, um, I'm not as consistent in my my relying on God or my turning to Him or my leaning into Him throughout the day. I'm just I'm continuing the I'm continuing the long form of the conversation that we started in the uh, in the morning. I mean, I, you know, I I really I think that's that um, that I said is it like it feels like wasting time. Mm. Right. It feels like. And so I would just say, well, if that's what it feels, then just because it's not wasted time, there's no time spent with God that's wasted time. But then just waste more time with God. Like, that's, right. that's, that's exactly right. Saying, like, that's right. Like, go waste a lot of time. If it feels that way, just waste time with him and get Good. get wasted be intoxicated in the spirit, right? Get wasted yep. by him and in his presence. And then he's going to give you things in that moment that we're going to take throughout the day. Because I knew that if I'm consistent with that time, I'm a lot more, I'm a lot more likely when I'm meeting with somebody on the team and they're telling me about a family situation rather than just saying, I'm sorry. Say, Hey, can we, let's just pray about that right yeah. now. Or somebody comes to me and they're like, man, I'm, you know, I'm sick. I need help. I'm a lot more likely to, to make ministry, make prayer and ministry woven together rather than this, this separate Thing that goes out. So I'm not just praying in a moment, but just trying to, okay, how do I build this praying life, this praying ministry that carries throughout in every conversation? And every, so. and, and every leader is defined by their character and integrity. How does the, the intimacy you develop with God, how does that affect the who you are on the inside that he knows and the, the integrity piece that others on the outside may know? How does that prayer time affect character and integrity in a leader's life well i think one of it's like the blessed you know blessed are the pure in heart for they will see god like we all want to see god um show up we want to see god move we want to see his fingerprints we want to see just the wonder but it's that it's that purity of heart in you know it's almost like you sit with god and it just in his kindness that always leads us to repentance it leads to repent you know and repentance and rest is your salvation and quietness and trust is your strength it's in that place of rest that god calls us to repentance and that word repentance just means to come back home you know he's like just That's come right. back home to me and to be in that and when we're sitting in the place of repentance sitting in the place of rest like god's going to reveal things that maybe we're okay with that he's not okay with you know and there's going to be this you know he transforms us from glory to glory to in his likeness like but but that happens by by contemplating who he is it happens in that place of contemplation the character of christ and and a lot of us just don't we just don't get still enough we just don't get quiet enough um you know we can go into our phones first thing in the morning trying to find out who we are and what the word is for the day rather than just sitting with him and letting him and his kindness put his finger on something and go you know what i want to i want to address that mm -hmm. and then determining you know what i want to be a leader with no secrets mm -hmm. 
I want to be a leader who doesn't have any secrets. And I know God knows me the best. And whether you call it the Holy Spirit or whether you call it conscience, you know, like yep. whichever one you want to, you want to call it when those things come to the surface to go, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm going to have secrets, I'm not going to have secrets with my wife, I'm not going to have secrets. You know, I've got, I've got mentors that I meet with. I've got close friends that I meet with. And I'm like, I'm going to risk just sounding ridiculous. I'm going to risk just, you know, them thinking I'm a fool, but I'm going to have some no secret friendships and, um, and that taking that, but those things surfaced in that stillness, in that place of prayer, Mike, to where, um, to where I'm like, man, I just, I, I, I mean, it's been said before, we're only as sick as our secrets, but I think if in, in busyness in the activity, I would have never, um, would have never identified some, I would have suppressed, I would have compartmentalized, I would have pushed those things down. And there is such freedom man, mm. in confession. You know, I think is that somebody said one time, they said, if you want to, if you want to be forgiven, confess to God. If you want to, um, if you want to feel forgiven, confess to somebody else. Mm. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth um, to that. Can I read something? I would just love that, about confession. Um, I think it was Bonhoeffer. Uh, he says, why is it that it's often easier for us to confess our sins to God than to a brother? God is holy and sinless. He is a just judge of evil and the enemy of all disobedience. But a brother is as sinful as we are. He knows from his own experience the dark night of secret sin. Why should we not find it easier to go to a brother than to the holy God? But if we do, we must ask ourselves whether we have not often been deceiving ourselves with our confession of sin to God, whether we have not rather been confessing our sins to ourselves and also granting ourselves absolution, who can give us the certainty that in the confession and the forgiveness of our sins, we are not dealing with ourselves, but with the living God. God gives us this certainty through our brother. Our brother breaks the circle of self-deception. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God and the reality of the other person. Son. And so if you're, mm. if you're, if you're a man, tell another man. If you're a woman, share with another woman. Like that there is this place of like saying, yeah, me too. Yeah. 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 I've, I've experienced that too and and to extend that grace and receive that grace it's it's a liberating and mike i realize we're off topic but man i just i it's just stirring in my heart that like you know if you take that jahari window right you just take like that that picture of jahari window in that 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 there are things that that we know that other people don't know there's the there's the secret place and i think you you put um, I mean, I think it was 28 weeks that we didn't gather oftentimes like his churches, some churches were 10 weeks, some churches, 20 weeks, some more than that. But you put that kind of isolation. I think people made some decisions that they regret. I think people made some, some choices that, that they, that they wish they wouldn't have. And I think there are some people carrying secret shame and, and pretending that's making it really, that's making it really hard to move forward. And whenever we see like a revival, there's always a measure of confession of sin. And I think there are people who've confessed to God, confessed to God, confessed to God, but really what their soul needs is the confession to a brother or to a sister that would leave, lead to that freedom that would enable to live with that blessed are the pure in heart for they will see, you know, mm-hmm. they'll see the kingdom. They'll see, they'll see God. Um, yeah. 
you you talked, Kevin, about this the, your spiritual fathers. I love that phrase from Glenn Shepherd to your own parents to Larry Wynn to Dan Ryland to Kevin Myers. Just some key Tom Tanner. These key at these mile markers in Kevin Queen's life. He had he had the right person at the right time. God had in the right season that person to give you what you needed. What do you pray when others look back at Kevin Queen's ministry? Some some kid that grew up in your youth group or your own kids are talking with somebody on a podcast one day and they come to the mile marker of Kevin Queen, their intersection with Kevin Queen's life for a season in a youth group or at Wesley or in Nashville in a Bible study. What do you pray is the investment you left in each of their lives? Mm. And you made my eyes water with that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the first thing that comes to comes to mind, you know, is I I wanted to say he's the real deal. I mean, I just that's the first I realized that's maybe a cliche phrase, but I wanted to say like he his his outsides matched his insides. Uh, Who he was in the green room is who he was on the platform. Um, that there was an integrated, integrated life. And, uh, and so, yeah, I want to, I want to say he had integrity. Um, I want to say that he, he loved Jesus. I mean, with everything, with everything he is, he loved Jesus and he, uh, he poured his, poured his life out and he lived with joy. And I just, you know, in the Psalms, it talks about that oil of gladness. And, um, and so, yeah, I want to say that he, that he was spirit led and that he was scripture fed, man. Um, like that, that he woke up every day and he's just, Hey, Holy spirit, where you want to take it today? Like the disciples looked to Jesus going, where are we going today? That he was truly uh, spirit led. And then um, if you had to whittle it down to two words, it'd be, he prayed that, that he prayed. I mean, if I could have that on my, on my tombstone, you know, yeah. Wasn't that just refreshing? You know, Kevin, I know Kevin from afar. We've got lots of mutual friends. I know his parents. But what I love most about Kevin is the sincerity of his time alone with God. And that's to me what makes Kevin so special and such a special leader in our generation. Thank you, Kevin, for sharing. And and the beauty of it is any of us, all of us can stay connected with God if we choose to. Well, in our next episode, since it's coming out the day after Father's Day, we're going to sit down with Dr. Michelle Watson. She has a great podcast called The Dad Whisperer Podcast. She's written a book about dads and daughters that we're going to unpack a little bit. And I think especially for you guys It's going to be super timely for you as a man, whether you have children or you're thinking about children in your future. If you're a lady listening, boy, you may know a man that you can share it with because I got off the call with Dr. Watson and thought, God, I wish I'd have heard some of this years ago when my children were little. Oh, so, so good. Well, thanks again for joining today. I pray that you, as you lead, will walk a little bit more like Jesus today than you did yesterday, and you'll be the leader that he created you to be. Thanks again for tuning in, and I can't wait to see you next time. 
Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.